Good evening. It's a great joy to be here with you. Um, my name is Father Jeremiah, and I live in New York. And I don't know if it's my own strategy or God's mercy, but I seem to come here all the time in the winter. Um, when I left New York, it was 10 degrees. So nobody's allowed to tell me it's cold. <laughs> um, there's nothing really interesting you need to know about me, so let's just start, shall we? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gift of this time. We thank you, Father, for your love, for your mercy that sustains us every moment of our lives. We thank you, Father, that you have called us here this weekend to step aside from our lives and to simply rest in your love. And this night, Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our minds and our hearts, that we could encounter you anew this night, that we'd be refreshed and renewed by your presence. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a reading from the first letter of St. John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest, and we saw it and testify to you and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing this, that our joy may be complete. One of the first questions that I will oftentimes ask a person especially if it's in, in the context of, of spiritual direction, or if someone is maybe discerning a vocation. One of the first questions I'll ask them is, what happened to you? Or, how did God get to you? In other words, how did the Lord open your heart? What was it that he said to you? 
And why that question, or why these questions? It's simply because you and I would not be here tonight were it not for someone, not something, but someone entering our lives. Maybe even turning our lives upside down. You know, when I was uh, about, I think about 19 years old, I had just sort of come back to the church, sort of a, a reversion experience. And I remember one night, I was hanging out with a group of friends who I had grown up with. And so they knew me my whole life. And they were not in any ways reverting or converting or anything in terms of, of the Lord. And I was sort of fresh in this reversion experience. And one night I was with a group of my friends and one of my friends said to me, in the middle of a sort of a group discussion, he looked at me and he said, what's happened to you? And I was like, what's happened to you? Nothing. <laughs> and then he said to me, he's like, it's like you've fallen in love or something. He said, did you meet a girl that you haven't told us about? He said, you're not here with us. He said, you're distant. And he was totally right. I wasn't there with them. My heart and my mind was somewhere else. It had become captivated by another. And obviously, it wasn't a woman. <laughs> The Christian life, my dear sisters, is a love story. It's ultimately a witness to this someone entering our lives and transforming us from the inside out. How does God do this? You know, it's usually not at first with a list of rules and a list of commands. It's with his presence. The awareness of this presence inside of us, around us, that is gentle, that is calm, that is inviting us. And this is why attention to God's presence in one's life is really, I believe, the key to understanding our life. You know, so many people ask, what should I do with my life? How should I live? And 
And the answer, I believe, is not that difficult. The answer is, where is God in your life? One of my, one of my friends, a different friend from who I grew up with, but another one of my friends, when he was 19 years old, he walked away from the church and he was convinced that the key to his life, what he really needed to do, was to leave his family and, and travel across this, whole, this country. And he spent six months living in his car, traveling around this country. And after six months, he became bored with this country. And he went to Europe and backpacked across Europe. And one morning, he woke up and he realized how utterly depressed he was. Because what he thought would bring him happiness wasn't working. And he said this particular morning, he woke up and he prayed for the first time in several years. And he said in that prayer that, that particular morning, he said he heard a voice that said to him, Joseph, you don't have to create your life. It's already given to you. Three days later, he came back to his home. And he said the essence of his conversion story was returning to the place from where he started. That's where he would meet God. It wasn't that traveling was a bad thing at all. Of course it isn't. But he was using traveling to escape from where the presence of God was in his life. And it took him probably 10,000 miles in traveling to realize he really didn't have to go anywhere. And our stories, of course, don't have to be that dramatic. There's a young religious sister who I know very well. And this sister was raised in a, a very, just a very good, a very devout family. And so she knew the Lord, she knew everything about the church, she was a prayerful person, she knew the scriptures. And she said one day when she was 19 years old, she was kneeling in adoration, praying the rosary, which was common for her. And she said in a moment, she had this realization that Jesus really knew her. That Jesus knew her in a way that her parents didn't, that her siblings didn't, that her friends or her teachers didn't. 
And of course, she knew all of this in her mind. But in that moment, something was different. That moment, it became infused in her heart that God really knew her. And it changed her life forever. And she says that the essence of her story is discovering that she was discovered. What about us? What about you and I? What is the essence of your story? Maybe it was through heartache. Maybe it was through love. Maybe it was through suffering. Maybe it was through joy. Maybe you're like the prophet Jeremiah who was duped by the Lord. In some ways, it doesn't matter. But what matters is how God got to you is your own personal, unique love song that no one else has but you. This is what makes you unique. This is what makes you different. And I would say that the secret, and certainly God doesn't want this to be a secret, but the secret to, to happiness or to holiness is keeping this song close to your heart. Not grasping at it. Not shouting it so that it drowns out the songs of others. But allowing it to play as the background music to your life. As you pray, as you serve, as you live, wherever it is God has you. I don't know if I, I mentioned, well, I didn't mention this, but you probably know I'm a, I'm a Franciscan. So I'm a little biased towards St. Francis. He is the best. Um, <laughs> humility is truth, so it's good to just acknowledge that in the beginning. <laughs> but St. Francis, is such an interesting person. I'd like to read you something that St. Francis wrote towards the end of his life. St. Francis said, When I was in sin, it seemed bitter for me to see lepers. The Lord himself led me among them, and I showed mercy to them. And when I left them, what had seemed bitter to me 
was turned into sweetness of soul and body. Just a little background on that. St. Francis, like everyone else in his day, was absolutely terrified by lepers. Leprosy was a contagious disease that in Francis' day was no cure, they had no cure for. And if you had leprosy, you were exiled to a, a small corner of town where no one would go. You had to wear a bell around your head. So if you were walking anywhere near people, you had to ring this bell. And when people heard you ringing the bell, they would run in the opposite direction. Imagine how you would feel. Well, St. Francis, who is just utterly human and utterly normal, was terrified of lepers. And God, that's exactly where God led him. And Francis said, what once seemed bitter to me was turned into sweetness of soul and body. What is the essence of his story? He encountered Christ in the poor by surprise. It was the last place Francis thought God was. Do you see how clever God is? How utterly different God is? This encounter that Francis has with the lepers is going to play as the background music to his life. You know, in, in his day, you either became a monk, Benedictine, or you became a diocesan priest. There was nothing else. And Francis became neither. People said, you have to become either a monk or a, a priest. And you know what Francis would say? He would say, the Lord led me to lepers. The monks and the priest didn't minister to the lepers. So I can't be something God is not calling me to be. And so this Franciscan life, this new way of living the gospel begins because St. Francis is listening to the song that the Lord gave him. And you know, the question for us is, are we listening to the song that the Lord is singing in us? And it's impossible to say, well, he's not singing a song in me. This is what God does. The question is, are we listening? One of my favorite, well, I guess you call it a ministry, ministries is doing uh, directed retreats with people, usually like a one-on-one, -on -one, maybe an eight-day uh, directed retreat. It's the absolute 
joy of my life. And I, I, I think, I was trying to think about this today, but within the past four or five years, I've probably had the privilege of directing about a hundred people on an individual retreat. And you know what is so fascinating about all 100 of those retreats? Not one of them has been the same. Because each person is so utterly unique. I never get bored because they're always different. Even some people I've had two or three times on a retreat, and the retreat is completely different from the way it was maybe a year or two years ago. God is so utterly respectful of each person's uniqueness. You know, in the spiritual life, there are no identical twins. And for me, as, as a director, the most amazing aspects of those retreats is to watch how God accommodates himself to each person. You know, if a person tends to be maybe fearful, God tends to be so extremely gentle. If a person is deaf or stubborn or a little hard of hearing, which is usually me, God tends to shout or to be a little more direct. If a person is anxious, God tends to be extremely patient and slow. Now, of course, God is all of those things to all of us. But depending on the person and their needs, he's sometimes more and he's sometimes less. He meets us where we are. Not to stay there, of course, but to accompany us and to move us forward. You know, I, I have this strange experience when I'm preaching sometimes. 20 people will tell me 20 different things that I said that I never said. <laughs> I got the notes. I never said it. It doesn't matter. Because this is what God wants them to hear. It's amazing how God accommodates himself to each one of us, exactly where we're at. Isn't this what we see and hear in the parable of the Good Shepherd? Right? Jesus goes to where the lost sheep is. He goes there in search of the lost sheep. 
He picks him up, carries him on his shoulders, and brings him forward. He doesn't say, oh, that, that silly sheep, well, he'll have to catch up with the rest of us. He goes after the lost sheep. He accommodates himself to where the lost sheep is. And do you know why he does that? Because he loves him. Do you know why God accommodates himself to us? Because he loves us. Isn't it interesting how Jesus comes to us in the Eucharist? Bread and wine. God accommodating himself to our senses. Because he knows our senses need to see. They need to touch. They need to taste. Who needs the Eucharist? God or us? We do. He comes to us. In my own opinion, my own experience, one of the greatest obstacles, in fact, the greatest obstacle, besides sin, of course, the greatest obstacle to hearing and experiencing God in one's own life is comparing ourselves to other people. In other words, listening to another person's song instead of the one that God is singing in your life. You know, in the Gospel of John, Peter does this in chapter 21. Remember, Peter and Jesus are sitting next to each other, and they see, uh, Peter sees John walk past him. And what does Peter say to Jesus? He says, Lord, what about this man? What's going to happen to him? And do you remember what Jesus says to him? Jesus says, if it's my will that he remains... What is that to you? You follow me. In other words, Jesus is telling Peter, mind your own business. <laughs> you follow me. Leave John to me. You know, other people's talents and gifts are meant by God to edify us, to encourage us. But because of our brokenness, do you know what they do? They intimidate us. And they become a source of desolation, a source of discouragement. You know, we look at somebody else's gifts, and then what do we say? Oh, I'm, I have no gifts, I'm a loser. We have our ways of doing this in religious life. 
You know, we compare ourselves to the other friars or, or sisters who we might live with. Maybe we'll, we'll see them uh, in chapel, and man, they look like they're really praying. But they're really taking a nap. <laughs> or the, the friar or the sister will be reading like, you know, the Summa by St. Thomas Aquinas. And all of a sudden we'll think, maybe I should be reading the Summa. Why aren't I reading that? The reason you're not reading it is because God probably doesn't want you to read it. And, you know, for, for lay people, I see this all the time. We compare ourselves to other families. You know, maybe our family will be in church and our kids are like, you know, hanging from the rafters and doing God knows what else during Mass. And we'll look across the church and there will be a, a nice family. The children are calm. The husband's calm. And we'll think automatically, something must be wrong with me. Because my children and my spouse are not like that. This is one of the greatest tricks of the enemy. Because comparing, compare, leads to despair. Every single time. Because it distracts us from the grace of God that is in our life right now. And it turns his presence into absence. It's exactly what the enemy wants. St. Ignatius tells us that the way the enemy works in devout people, such as yourself, is he knows he's not going to get them to deny God, to deny the faith, but he is really going to try to slow them down. And the number one way to slow a person down is to distract them. Imagine if St. Francis listened to the song that God had sung in St. Benedict. We wouldn't have a St. Francis. Imagine if Mother Teresa listened to the song that God was singing in St. Therese. And I would say, sisters, that if you, are, you and I do not become saints, it's because we did not listen to the song that God was trying to sing in our lives. That reading from 1 John that I read from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, this is what we testify and proclaim to you. The same is true for us. What you have heard what you have seen with your eyes, what you have looked upon and touched with your hands, 
This is what we proclaim to the world. Because it's your song, the song that God is singing in your life, that will help convince the world once again that love really does exist. And that ultimately, Christianity is the greatest love story you could ever imagine. Name the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.